Anglo-American PLC is a multinational mining company. They are the world's largest producer of platinum and a major producer of diamonds, nickel and coal. The company was built by a family of German immigrants, the Oppenheimers, more than a century ago. At their peak, they owned most of the gold, uranium and diamond mines, as well as various financial and industrial firms. This is an Anglo-American advertisement showing you how they see themselves. With over 100 years experience, we are a leading global mining company spanning Australia to Southern Africa and Asia to the Americas. Enough. <coughs> Historically, they supported parties that took part in white-only politics. They implemented themselves in a very harsh form of capitalism, paying out extremely low wages and utilizing migrant labor that destroyed local subsistence agriculture. Demonstrations against the South African government's strict apartheid policies flare into shocking violence. At Sharpsville, an industrial... This audio clip came from a documentary released in 1960. It shows one snip to an endless resisting movement, to an oppression that the Oppenheimers wildly contributed to. Apartheid allowed mining companies like Anglo to make profits off the back of a massively exploited working class. Since the fall of Apartheid, Anglo moved its headquarters to London, but is still implementing several mining projects around and in South Africa. We asked an activist living in a mining-affected community what she had to say about Anglo-America's methods and practices. Those testimonies highlight how Anglo hasn't changed its essence, its fundamental DNA, since the fall of apartheid. It was, and still is, narrowly focused on profit maximization, no matter the cost to the rights of workers and communities. Hi, my name is Pinky. I am an activist from Bumalanga in Emalahleni. Um, well, my experience with Anglo American Group, so they have been around Emalahleni more than for more than thirty years now. Um, in I, one incident that I remember in nineteen ninety, they forcefully removed um, a community and they hired a security company called ggv um to displace those people so there was no compensation there was no um cons consultation there was no consent in around all that process people lost their houses their livestock furnitures broke down and no one um no one was held accountable for that that is a specific case that happened in 1990. We were still in the apartheid era. Maybe things have changed. We asked a coal mining researcher at Society Work and Politics Institute, SWAP, if she thinks such corporate abuses belong to some bygone era. Her name is Daenerys Kozana. The practice in which we see Anglo-American forcefully relocating families from their homes as well as ancestral land in 1990 is not a colonial or apartheid practice. It continues to date in the post-apartheid political dispensation. Many families continue to lose their homes as well as ancestral land because of mining. In several cases that I've worked on, for instance, in cold mined areas, such as the Mpumalanga province, as well as KZN and 
the Limpopo province, the story of loss of land as well as land-based livelihoods, graves, and so on, is quite common in these areas. Pinky also gave a more recent example of corporate abuses. This one, for instance. Last year, one community um, in Londos, which is the land that belongs to Anglo, so Anglo built houses for the, um, their employees. And so some of the employees died, but then they left their children there. So those people were given letters of eviction. So the community was evicted from those houses. And, you know, so um, some of the things that the younger people were saying is the only home that they've known in their whole life is that community. This opens a critical question. What are the consequences for a community that loses their land? Is it limited to a loss of a house, a garden, or any commodity that you could theoretically get compensated for? Or is there something more essential, more meaningful than the loss of a material good? Deneo Skozana had this to say. For many African families, the land as well as the home is not seen as a material possession that can be commodified or bought and sold or transferred using market-based transactions. The land as well as home are usually considered sacred and therefore passed from one generation to another. So let's take, for example, on tribal land. The head of the household inherits the homestead and the spatial arrangement of the homestead is constructed such that the head of the household can divide the plot for the rest of his children so that they can start their own families. This is crucial. Just imagine, if your land is your history, your ancestors' heritage, how can compensation ever make up for the loss of land? And so there is a history within the families in that the land has been passed down from one generation to another. There are memories attached to living in the particular homestead, but also there are graves which mark the area as evidence of having lived in that particular space. And there's also various sacred spaces within the homestead which connects the living to the ancestral land through various practices. And so when the land is dispossessed or communities are forcefully removed from their homes as well as the land, they also lose the spiritual connection to their ancestors as well as their history because the land as well as their graves, for instance, are the material means in which the living people connect to their ancestors. Yeah, they are one of the biggest, you know, miners around the area. Um, they also have got land that was not rehabilitated. If you look at your coronation site, their own land there where the sinkholes and stuff. Um, even in Tusbet too, um, they have been in dispute with the community recently because they wanted to rehabilitate some land, but then now the community thinks that um, they want to start mining again. 
so um they've been having issues of cracked houses you know dust and so forth so the community said uh uh-uh, we don't want mining so they use their right to say no so what is the right to say no it is a call for communities to be able to reject outside development especially when it affects their lives and livelihoods for example a community that has to be relocated for a mine that will be built on their land should have the right to say no to that mining project. In November 2018, Gauteng's High Court recognized the right to say no for a community in the Eastern Cape, giving the right to say no some kind of legal precedent. But for Pinky, it seems like the right to say no is not being enforced. The right to say no of people is not respected because now um, they will use those big people, bribe counsellors, make sure that, okay, uh, the, go to a council and tell him that you can bring about five people um, to work. And, you know, in that way, they, they get, you know, um, a, a consent to say, yeah, they can continue, expand their projects and so forth. But generally, if, you know, you talk to ordinary people who don't benefit anything from Anglo and like you ask them, you know, um, how are these mining companies, and it's not only Anglo, right? How are these mining companies um, treating people? And they will tell you that these mining companies are doing nothing for us. They're just here to extract and go. Anglo, like other mining companies or any foreign corporation that operates in Southern Africa, produces a kind of charity work for communities. They build schools, for instance. Why do they do this? Is it because they care for communities or because they have a serious image problem? Pinky? They have not been doing a lot. So they have been building schools, but in terms of, you know, maintaining those schools, because building um, a school, it doesn't mean that you just have to build and go, but we have to maintain that, make sure that, you know, after certain years you come again, you repaint, um, if there's broken doors or broken glasses, you, you fix those, you repair those things. So they have not been um, doing those. So if one looks at, you know, the, the, the profit that they have been getting out of all the activities and you look at the communities that are nearby their um, areas where they are extracting, then it tells you another story. We hope that by the example of the Anglo-American Corporation, you can get an understanding of what mining companies are allowed to do in South Africa. We is the Southern African campaign to dismantle corporate power. We are a network of popular movements fighting corporate impunity in Southern Africa. We have heard numerous testimonies of communities resisting the abuses committed by transnational corporations from countries like South Africa, but also Madagascar, Zambia, the DRC and others. Those abuses often, but not always, are committed by mining companies and they remain completely unpunished. This is what we are struggling for, the rights of communities over the rule of corporations. You can check out our work on Twitter at StopCorpPower. This podcast was realized thanks to David Figg's much valuable clarifications. David Figg is a freelance writer that has been working on extractive industries and corporate impunity. Many thanks to him and our warmest gratitude to Pinky Langer.